Hello and welcome to episode three of this podcast from Computing and the exciting news is that we finally have a name. We are now called Thank Zuck It's Friday, at least that's our name for this week. We may change it next week, who knows. As ever though, this is where we dissect the latest IT news and give you a bit of the, uh, a bit of the news behind the headline, the story behind the story uh, and a bit of in-depth analysis. Uh, I'm Stuart Sumner, I'm the Editorial Director of Computing and I'm delighted to be joined as usual by John Leonard, Computing's uh, Research Director and Tom Allen, uh, Delta Site Editor. Uh, before we dive into the news, Tom, what's been going on with you this week? Uh, mostly I almost got snowed in, which is my exciting news, except I didn't, which is less exciting. Uh, I was really hoping for it. Um, where I uh, live, or at least live at the moment, uh, out in Essex, um, South Essex, uh, we've avoided snow for the entire year while the rest of the country has been getting it, and I've been getting steadily more grumpy. Um, but Is that related last... to the lack of snow or just steadily more grumpy just generally as you get older? Uh, both. Okay. Both, actually, yeah. Um, but, uh, well, I, I was going to say last Saturday, but by the time people hear this, it'll be two Saturdays ago. Um, we had a big old dumping of snow, and it snowed heavily for three or four days. And it was great fun, and I made snowmen in the garden to freak the dog out and threw snow at my girlfriend, and it was fantastic. But then I realized the downside of snow, uh, or at least snow in the pandemic, means that I don't actually get a snow day because we're all working from home anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, surely the excitement about snow is being snowed in is, oh, I can't get into work. That's a shame. Uh, but at the moment, it just means you can't go out and play, which is... Yeah, exactly. It's completely ruined things for me. It's a bit of a waste, waste, waste of a good snow. Mm. Uh, still, um, it was uh, all looked very pretty while it lasted. Um, I've got a, um, a fascinating snow story myself, uh, which is that I didn't get snowed in, uh, but it was very. Is I, that I fascinating? In, it, well, that bit's not the fascinating. In fact, none of it's fascinating. The very, very mildly interesting bit, using the word interesting in a very loose sense, um, is that uh, I live in a um, southeast London, but uh, on a very in a very hilly area. Um, so it got very snowy and very icy and very cold. And I went for a walk and uh, managed to stack it on the ice very badly. Um, um, with my wife saying, you know, don't slip on any ice and me saying, oh, I don't slip on ice. And then, of course, going out and slipping on the ice and uh, ending up in A&E with a badly beshed up face and hand, uh, uh, lots of blood everywhere and um, no broken bones, as it turned out. But uh, took a few x-rays to work that one out, uh, which has been incredibly fun. But similarly, again, you know, I was sufficiently injured. I wouldn't have been able to come into work. But as it is not going in anyway. So, again, waste of a good injury. That's because you Magic, isn't it? how to walk during lockdown. What's that, John? That because you've forgotten how to walk during lockdown. Pretty much. Well, that hasn't really been any need. I've, I've pretty much been sitting on this chair for the last year with my wife brings me, you know, occasional food if I'm lucky and a cup of tea. Um, there's not really any need to leave this chair. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know about you two, but I've actually trained the dog to pull my chair along. So it's like a very small good. chariot. That's 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 nice. <laughs> I, I've, I've trained all my children to bring me beer. Um, which is oh, not, not usually the right beer, but to be honest, you know, there's no really wrong beer, is there, um, in lockdown? So uh, I'm calling that a win. Um, John, anything interesting happening to you in the last week? Any snow um, injuries? No, it may, may surprise you to, to, to note that I haven't really been out very much this week, um, despite not having that much snow. Um, so instead, I've been making my way through the latest Adam Curtis documentary. Uh, not sure if you've seen any of his stuff, but what he does, he glues together film footage from all over the world, uh, Maris, China, post-war America, Britain in the 60s and 70s, India, Middle East, with lots of really good music. And the whole experience is really sort of psychedelic. Um, and it's all in service of this sort of grand theory, which is not a particularly cheerful one, but it's basically that we're all dehumanized cogs in a huge te technocratic machine and all attempts to escape are doomed to fail. Sounds very Black Mirror. <laughs> That's what I've been doing for fun, anyway. So, uh, so Tom and I have have slightly flippant and silly stories relating to snow, 
and you've gone straight into dystopian technocratic nightmare. Yeah, doom gloom. Yeah, that's my yeah USB really. That does explain your cheery outlook, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, things can only get better. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah, more true yeah. than you usually are, um, or maybe they won't. Um, on that note, actually, you've I think you've got the um, onto IT news, which is uh, after all why we're all here. Um, I think you've probably got the most relevant and impactful story. So why don't we start with you? Okay, I've gone with the story that the EU is set to recommend um, a positive data adequacy decision for the UK um, after finding that Britain has sufficient measures in place to protect Europeans' personal data that might sort of pass through this country post-Brexit. And this comes from a report in the Financial Times, whose journalists saw a draft of the final decision, which should mean that data flows between the EU and UK will remain pretty much as they are now, without any sort of big upsets. Um, the final decision is expected to be announced any time now, so I'm actually keeping my eye on the news feeds as I speak about this. So we could, we could have breaking news uh, on the podcast, which people <laughs> will unfortunately listen to at least a day after it's recorded. So uh, <laughs> not that breaking. We, we, we can at least say it was breaking when we heard it, though. So that was um, that's what's exciting. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting here is the um, I mean, the, the, the our, our rules are based on the EU's laws anyway. Um, so I'm surprised it's going to make a huge difference. But what, what, what's the what's the what's the purpose of this interim period? Well, the interim period is because when we left the European Union at the end of the year, not everything was sorted out. So a lot of, lot of the stuff in the financial sector wasn't sorted out, for example. And this was another example. So the interim period lasts till the end of June, um, at which stage, you know, we, we have to come, come to some agreement. So things have been sort of poddling along as, you know, as they have been over the last few years during these months. But there was quite a lot of worry that um, we wouldn't be found to be um, um, adequate protectors of Europeans' personal data, in which case, all hell would have broken loose, to be honest. So this move actually comes as quite a relief, you know, for all the businesses in the UK, um, a lot of them in health, for example, technology, insurance, who share personal data and customer information um, with European Union and had really feared the worst. Because if they had decided against us, we'd have had, we'd have been effectively what's called a third country, as far as data protection is concerned, with each okay. case then being judged on its individual merits, which really would have meant a hell of a lot of more paperwork and delay and whatever. And no doubt a huge backlog. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. That sounds, that sounds pretty bad. So it was, the, what do sorry. the rules actually, sorry, Tom, um, what do the rules actually say? I mean, given that, that, that our rules you know, were, were based on um, European laws anyway, what, what do the rules actually say? Well, the rules are based on um, GDPR and the European um, data protection rules. So they are, they basically say that um, our, our, our laws must be in line with the EU's laws when it comes to um, protecting personal data. So for example, the US doesn't fall into that category, um, which is why we've had all the sort of problems with things like um, Safe Harbor and its replacement privacy shield. Um, ours do because they, are, they have been based on European laws. Um, the, the fear was that the UK might start to water down these um, data protection and privacy laws um, in order to make trade deals elsewhere. But obviously the, EC, the EU has decided that that isn't the case, at least not at the moment, although they will review it periodically afterwards. Um, and you mentioned um, the possibility of the UK being a third country there. Was that ever actually likely? Um, it's really hard to say. I mean, some people thought it was. So for example, the ICO advised um, companies to start taking precautionary measures just in case. 
um, and various uh, data protection lawyers and experts um, thought it was a possibility. I don't know how much of a possibility, but it was certainly, um, you know, it was certainly there and the advice was very much to um, say, right, okay, just follow best practice anyway, um, encrypt the, the data, protect it, don't keep data you don't need, don't transfer data you don't, you know, all the, all the GDPR stuff we've been hearing about over the last few years, really keep on doing that um, because nothing is certain at the moment. So I think businesses will be really pleased about this um, supposed decision. It hasn't been announced yet, but um, pretty sure it will be. Um, because that that relieves them of a lot of doubt about so, what's going to happen. So, so basically, no need to worry. Then it's it's, it's all going to be okay, says John Leonard. Um, I am not a lawyer. The usual usual caveat applies here very much, which means I can kind of back away from anything yeah. I say <laughs> right now. Um, but certainly, um, immediate panic is over. Um, there's no data equivalence of the rotting fish to worry about. You know, that we've been seeing with the fishermen over Brexit. Mm. Um, as I said, though, the EU is going to review the, the rules every four years just to check that the two regimes are still aligned. Um, and also UK companies sending personal data to Europe um, will need to choose a new representative in the uh, European economic area because they obviously can't use the ICO anymore for obvious reasons. So there's various sort of bits and pieces that they have to do. Um, in the meantime, as well, the EU is overhauling its own regulations for dealing with third countries, and that's following the collapse of Privacy Shield, uh, or which is known as uh, Schrems 2, from Max Schrems, and how that pans out, and uh, what effects it will ultimately have on the UK are still not very certain. Um, the UK is meant to be developing its own sort of equivalence to the EU contractual clauses and other mechanisms that... Um, companies can use to transfer personal data. But again, that's all still quite up in the air at the moment. Mm. I also really like um, the data equivalence of rotting fish as a headline. Um, so we should, we, should, we should use that for something. Yeah, it also makes for a really good image uh, as well. So um, as a computing story for the future um, right there. Um, let's move. I think that's enough on that one. Let's move on. Tom, what have you got for us? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about dark trace, uh, as I did last week, actually. Um, so UBS, uh, a Swiss bank, has pulled out of backing Darktrace's planned stock market flotation. And that could have some pretty serious knock-on effects. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Darktrace is a British company. It's a cybersecurity company. It uses AI. A lot of people and investors are very excited about it and its potential. It bought UBS on in January this year to lead its IPO. But apparently, the bank's compliance department decided it couldn't work with Darktrace because of its involvement with one Mike Lynch. Uh, tech mm -hmm. veterans probably remember Lynch. He founded Autonomy. Uh, it's a British company that HP acquired in 2011 for $11 billion. And it pretty soon turned out that someone in Autonomy had been cooking the books to make it look more valuable than it actually was. Uh, eventually, HP wrote down the value by almost $9 billion and fired its CEO, Leo Apoteca, at the time over the whole thing for uh, lack of due diligence. Uh, it was right around the time that I entered the tech sector, so I remember it pretty well. Uh, Autonomy's CFO, Sashivan Hussein, went to jail in the USA. He's currently serving a five-year jail term, and Lynch is still fighting an extradition order to the USA. It made Lynch uh, quite a toxic figure in tech for a long time. And so it's it's surprising that Darktrace are still so 
willing to take him on effectively because where it really gets interesting in this case is lynch's involvement with dark trace he was a board member until 2018 he still owns about 40 percent of the company through his own investment firm uh, invoke capital and on top of that dark trace's ceo poppy gustafson and its chairman robert webb are former autonomy executives Okay, that's interesting that UBS pulled out. That's obviously a very strong, very strong maneuver, sends a strong message. Um, is that the only company to have pulled out of working with them or have, have there been others? Well, technically, yes. But one of the other big eight investment banks, Goldman Sachs, uh, specifically declined to get involved in the IPO last year, again, because of concerns about Mike Lynch. It's really not what you want to hear if you're dark trace when you're coming up to a flotation and it could give other investors cold feet. Is it likely to... Um... Are they likely to kind of call the whole thing off or do you think it's going to um, go ahead? Mm, they're probably not. Uh, it's probably not going to affect the company's future too much. So uh, at the same time as it took on UBS, Darktrace took on Jefferies to help with the IPO. And Jefferies is now going to lead the transaction uh, along with two other partners. So Darktrace doesn't lack willing partners by any means it's it took on two other big investors uh, kkr and summit partners last year and it claims to have added a lot of new customers in the pandemic which is not surprising you know there's been um there's been a lot of disruption to normal uh going by the standard whitelisting practices uh, it's not really possible at the moment or you're certainly not going to um catch everything if you do so dark traces ai um which sort of uh, uh, analyzes systems and then determines what normal is and then highlights deviations from it is definitely um, attractive at the moment. But that said, as I mentioned, two of the big eight investment banks have refused to be involved and it does raise some red flags. Yeah, I, th I think I'd agree with that. I think I agree. You know, they've, they've got they'll still I think they'll still go through with the IPO. I don't think it'll have a huge impact on going um, going forward. Also, when I anecdotally, when I speak to IT leaders, um, one of the questions I often ask people is, you know, what what technology or what what vendor are you most interested to talk to? What are you most excited by? And dark traces come up quite a lot when I've had those conversations over the last um, mm. well, one to two years. So I, I think in terms of their sales and their the appetite for them amongst their customers, it's I would say that still seems to be pretty high. And after all, that's mostly what's going to count here the fact that you know some companies don't want don't want involvement or there's others that do so yeah i think you sound uh that sounds yeah, about right. the, the sort of question about whether it should delay as you say there's obviously uh, quite a lot of appetite there for it um there's no easy answer to whether it should push its ipo back so on on the one hand its business could definitely suffer if lynch is extradited uh i think really and this is my personal opinion they should be trying to minimize links with him altogether um so on the hand, it makes sense to delay the float until after his trial. On the other hand, as you mentioned, there's a lot of interest in Dark Trace. The company's doing well. It wants to capitalize on that. It's very well recognized in Europe and, and the wider market. It's fast growing. It's a European tech brand. And those are all factors that fund managers are desperate for at the moment. Hmm. Uh, the company still thinks it's worth it to push ahead. And that suggests to me there's some confidence that investors will hold their noses and ignore the bank's warning signs. Other thing is this, this Mike Lynch thing has been going on for years and years, hasn't mm. it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a perennial long running story and there's no guarantee. I, I think he's in court at the moment again. Um, he is, yep. I've almost lost count how many times this has happened, um, but there's, there's no guarantee there's gonna be any sort of um, fulfillment 
coming out this time either, you know, so it could really run and run. It could go on for many more. No, weeks. exactly. Um, he's in court at the moment in the UK for a, a separate issue. Uh, so, uh, but to me, that says, I mean, if your lead investor is facing trial for two different things in, in two different countries, two different continents, well, that's uh, that's a warning sign. Essentially, I mean, but a trial isn't the same as a conviction. So I think no, exactly. you, know, you need to be wary of, prejud- of prejudging. But, uh... You do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, at the same time, um, how much influence has he had of the company? Uh, I doubt they've given him any access to their own financial information after or after the autonomy scandal. Uh, and the investor is not the company. So no, but 40 percent is certainly, a, uh, you know, he's going to have a lot of power there with, and with that stake. But uh, mm. certainly anyway, we'll, we'll keep reporting on that story on computing. So uh, as we know more, uh, we will publish it. Um, I think we'll move on to the to the final story of the day, um, which is uh, which is mine. Um, so building on last week, some of you may remember I talked about favicons, uh, those little sites, uh, those little um, icons that appear in your browser bar and how they can track you across the web. Uh, well, uh, there's another story this week, this time about spy pixels, which is kind of similar, um, and the fact that they're now uh, considered to be endemic, according to an investigation by email service Hay, who made an investigation at the BBC's request, actually. Um, and what they found that um, nearly two thirds of emails sent to their users which we can assume is roughly proportional across the uh, across the web um, contain these invisible spy pixels and now what they are they're also known as web beacons or or tracking pixels they're tiny one by one images so effectively um, depending on your resolution effectively invisible to the human eye and they can be embedded anywhere in messages to uh, track a variety of, of data points and these these images they can even be gifs they could be pngs or um, other types of uh, image file um, and they're designed to just completely easily merge with email content and uh, remain completely invisible um, to the recipient. And uh, that's quite a, another scary thing for, uh, for privacy. Is it so how you, uh, Stuart? Or, um, we did hear, you know, some email clients that allow you to turn the images off, for example, because it's known that images can be tracked. Um, so is this something new or is it just the, the extent of the issue that is... Well, it's new in the sense that it's not it's not widely known about. It's not a new practice that's just suddenly sprung into being, but it's it's something that's becoming uh, a lot more prevalent. Um, and uh, what it, it's it's, a, it's what what we've just what is new is that we've discovered quite how widespread it is. Really, um, it's so widespread that even the ICO themselves have been found to use them. Um, they've said they're working to remove them now. Now that it's been pointed out to them, uh, but. Um, I think one of the one of the problems with them is that they're so um, opaque. So you you know they're deliberately obfuscated. You've got no idea they're there. You've got no idea what they're doing, um, and that's a problem because they're tracking all kinds of information about you. And uh, the fact that you don't even know they're there or what they're doing, and you're certainly not signing up to it. Certainly, there's certainly no no sense of consent around what they're doing, um, and that's where I think a lot of the problems lie. So they use to track if you if you open the emails, I guess. Um, yeah. Is it yeah. anything else? I mean, a lot, so, of, so, a lot of companies the, do use that, don't they? So. Yeah, they do. But I mean, it, it kind of does a lot of techniques that are, that are already out there or they're responsible for a lot of activities that, that, you know, you can do with other technologies as well. It's the fact that they're that you don't know what they're doing. You don't know they're there and that they're, um, it's just another thing invading your privacy. So they can let the sender know if and when um, you opened an email, how many times it was opened, what device you used, um, sometimes even your location. 
Um, and it's so what happens is when you open the email, um, the spy image is downloaded onto your system. Um, the image request tells the server um, that you've opened the mail um, and it records you know, how many times uh, your IP address potentially um, and when and where you did it. And it's just it, there's so many. So this um, this Hay service um, said the average customer receives 24 emails per day that attempts to spy on them. Um, so for some other users, it'll be, it could be up to 50. Um, and that's just from this service. Hey, so if you look, if you're someone like Gmail, um, that's an awful lot of um, spying attempts that are happening uh, endemically across the internet. So I just thought it was interesting building on the favicon from last week. And now you've got these, um, these little, uh, spy pixels as well uh, it does feel a little bit like you know uh, a persistent onslaught that we can't ever uh, sort of defend ourselves from or just a, just a raging torrent of um, spying attempts on pretty much everything we do anywhere near a computer yeah people used to complain about the nanny state in the in the uk didn't they and how we were the most spied upon nation in in europe with uh, all the cctv but then as soon as you open a computer and set up an email address apparently uh it's ten times as bad. Yeah, and I think it. I think it's. It, it really depends on the value on, on the value exchange. So, if for example, one example I like to give is um, if you're using Google Maps and you're using it um, as basically as TomTom, uh, and you're driving along, and that's um, showing you where to go, what the traffic's like, all that kind of stuff. You know, um, at the same time, it's harvesting your driving data um, where you are. Probably you're roused with your wife as you're, as you're driving them as well. But let's just say it's just taking your data um, as to how fast you're going where you're going that kind of stuff that's a fair value exchange because i understand that to get the value you know that that's providing me show me where to go and how to avoid the worst jams it needs to know where i am and i don't mind google keeping that information and using it for its own nefarious purposes that to me feels like i've got my eyes open in that relationship and i'm getting something that i value quite a lot from it um it's these it's things like this examples like the favicons like the spy pixels when there's no value exchange because the user is not aware what's going on there you know that the, there's and it's not enough to have a terms of service up front with you know 87 pages of legalese that no one's ever in their right mind is going to read. That's not enough to say, well, you, you know, you went in with your eyes open. I think there needs to be a lot more transparency across the internet with these types of services. So we know exactly what the value exchange is. You're providing me an email service or you're sending me an email offering me something, but what are you taking back from me in return? Yeah, well, that's the thing. This is, this is not technically just related to the email provider, is it? It's the people who are sending the emails. So uh, Google or Microsoft, whoever's your email provider is, could warn you that it's going to happen, but they have... Yeah. really no control over it no no of course I, I was broadening the conversation to talk about privacy more generally but um but uh it, it's it, it is the um it, it is the uh, senders of the emails in this instance um that are um tracking people and you know it's it's very very hard to legislate against because they you know they could be anywhere um there's no sort of global internet authority um uh the very sort of idea of one sounds pretty Orwellian um, so yeah I don't have a solution I have a problem I have no solution uh, but I, I think what you know part of the solution is getting people uh, raising awareness and getting people um, to understand what's happening uh, every time they open an email so I think that at least um, insofar as, as that goes we've, uh, we've achieved that much. Presumably uh, another solution is to only um, is to set your email client so it only opens text it doesn't download any pictures. Um, no HTML, that, with, that kind with, of thing. With quite a lot. Yeah, you know, if you're really sort of worried about it, then. Well, uh, on the one hand, yes. I remember uh, in my previous job, we used um, God, Microsoft Access uh, to access all our emails, and it blocked HTML and, and things by default. I would only get text-based emails. And honestly, in the modern era, that's not good enough. 
because people would often send me things saying click this link and I couldn't because there was no link because it, it stripped out all the links it stripped out all the images stripped out everything so yeah, you it, really do have a big trade-off there between convenience and security in the modern day that, that's that, that's pretty awesome if you, you, if you want to be even more secure i mean you could go back to uh carrier pigeon or or maybe snail mail um you know uh, these things are a, a yes. little bit easier um a little bit easier on privacy but um i mean that's just a, you know a, a, an exaggeration to prove a point how old but, you are yeah but it's, it's pretty hard um to uh yeah you could turn off all images and I think you do miss out on quite a lot, but maybe if you're, you know, if especially concerned by privacy, that's one way, or just don't open in any emails at all. Um, shut down your email accounts, close the windows, unplug the internet. Um, there's all, there's lots of options out there. Um, I think they've all got, they will come with their own problems. Um, I'm not convinced we'll ever solve this one, to be honest. It's one of those things you think in the fullness of time, we'll get around this. I don't think we will. I think we're just going to eventually give up and assume that everything we um, do, everywhere we go, everything we think is all going to be harvested tracks and, you know, and turned into marketing um, that's going to bombard us and, uh, that's 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 just it, really. That's, that's a cheery note, isn't it? I, I feel like I'm. Is, is that kind of along the lines of your of, of your technocratic um, dystopian nightmares that you've been watching, back, John? Oh, is yeah. it? I was just going to make that point. That's exactly <laughs> the sort of thing that Adam Curtis talks about. Yeah, we're all being sort of sucked into um, this big machine where we're being observed all the time, and our behaviour monitored and systems adjusted to take account of reactions. Like this, so perfect. I, I like it's, to think it's it, a good place to stop. <laughs> even beyond the grave, we'll be there in our coffins, and the underneath of the coffin, we'll just be playing constant adverts. Okay, uh, at us, in, in our as we for us, for us to watch in eternity. Um, well, I think that's, that's a, that is a wonderful, uh, joyous note to end on. Um, so I think we'll, we'll leave it there for this week. Um, so thanks once again, as ever, to Tom and John for your insights. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>